Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in again to The Profitable Photographer. As always, I'm Lucy Dumas, and I have an amazing guest for you today. If you are a regular podcast listener, you probably already know my guest. And before I tell you who this is, well, it's not a big secret if you're watching, but if you're (laughs) listening, um, I'm going to keep it a secret for one sec. Anyway, I am very close to getting enough subscribers on my YouTube channel to be able to customize my URL. So if you can go to The Profitable Photographer on YouTube and subscribe, uh, an angel gets her wings. (laughs) All right. So my guest is Ray Perry. And in the photography world, he's a professional photographer in Tampa, Florida. He specializes in weddings, headshots, bar mitzvahs, and portraits. Before he picked up a camera, he was a radio announcer and a comedian. And if you've been around Bouray at all, you know the comedian part is alive and kicking, as well as that he has an amazing voice. In other areas of his life, he uses his photography knowledge and his ability to talk nonstop for hours to teach people worldwide about photography in a down-to-earth way. He has a reputation for taking complicated ideas and explaining them in a way that doesn't make your head explode. And you might also know him as the co-host of a popular podcast called Photo Bomb and his educational YouTube channel. So, Bure, hello. Hey, <laughs> I hate those things. I know. What's got to be done? I hate introductions. Because what's, what really is bad about introductions is that you have to write them yourself. And I guess there are people who enjoy it. But there's nothing worse to me than having to sit down and write in a third person about how great I am. Yeah. You know, you have to say, Bouvet Perry is so awesome. Be sure and say this. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah. But, but you have to do it. You have podcasts, or if you speak at a convention or whatever, you always have to write those introductions. And then you have to stand there and cringe while people say them. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm, no. Sorry to put that cringe on there. <laughs> <laughs> and probably a lot of people that listen to you or sorry, a lot of people listen to me, probably already listen to you. But if they don't, that's why I wanted you on this show, as well as I just wanted to talk to you one-on-one. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I didn't write all of that, by the way. Lucy, most of that was her. Lucy. The last little part was me. But the first part was her about me being great and having a wonderful voice. That was all her. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I told Ray that I was a, a little nervous today about chatting because he is so, he's got so much going on, so much he shares. You think so? I, I think so. I don't think, I, you see, I don't, I sometimes, I have what, what's it called? Uh, imposter syndrome. Okay. You know, where no matter what you do, you're always like, I really shouldn't be doing this. I'm, you know, I'm, and this is, happens with photographers all the time, but it happens in everything that you do. And when someone says, why in the world would you be ner- nervous at all about having me on the podcast? When I'm, I don't, you, I don't do anything you don't do. We're, we're, we're equal pretty much. 
Right. You know, we, we, we both have podcasts. We're both photographers. Uh, so what's, you know, and when someone says that to me, it's always like, really? And then I guess I, I guess I get a little bit of that with other people, but not so much. When, when I when I have other people, I meet other people who are, I don't know, I don't pedestal people very much. Right. You know, and so it's always it's always weird when people I always feel really odd when people say that, that they feel nervous about something having to do with me. Well, so, yes, we I've been in this business, I think, twice as long as you possibly. Yeah, you're twice probably. And, and I'm sure three times the photographer that I am. So. <laughs> You know, so, so there you go. So it, it may be that the podcast space that you're so active. Um, some of it is you're so dang funny in my experience that, you know, I just will never know. But anyway, you are someone that's very easy to talk to. So I'm releasing that. Um, <laughs> all right. Question. Okay. What were you like as a kid? What were your interests? What uh, would your teachers say about you or your parents? I was uh, I was uh, a nerd. My nickname in high school was Professor Perry because Ooh. my hand went up every time there was a question in class, and I knew the answer. Um, I was a, I was I was the I was the classic you know kid who wanted to be popular and wasn't popular and wasn't in with the in crowd and didn't play sports uh, and tried too hard to get people to like him or to be funny, you know, could, and quoted um, Monty Python sketches, you know, <laughs> crucifixion. I was just like every, you know, like what was I watched just yesterday? Adam Sandler got the um, Mark Twain prize and everyone goes up to all of his friends and famous people go up to talk about him. And every one of them, I'm like, every one of them was me in high school. Mm -hmm. so now they're all, but in high school, they were just, I just want to be funny. Although some of them are lucky and they are the class clown. I was not, I wanted to be the class clown, ah. but maybe by the time I was senior, maybe I started to get a little bit of that, but I was just not, I was, I was too smart for my own good. Um, and I wanted to be popular and I wasn't, you know, my, my teachers loved me. I got, you know, I was, I was a good student but also a disruptive student because hmm. I got annoyed, not annoyed, but they would spend three days teaching something and I would learn it the first day. And then I'm like, now it's two days of repeating it. And so I'm going to start trying to be funny and failing most of the time. Hmm. I, I really wish I could have been the great class clown that everybody remembers from school, but no, I was trying. I didn't really, I didn't really hit my stride until my twenties. Ah, with, yeah. with the humor. Yeah. Well, as far as just being like somebody who could, uh, it was fun to be around. <laughs> fun yeah. to be around. Uh, you know, I, I I was I was very late on everything. Like when I was a disc jockey, um, it wasn't until I was in my forties and ending my career in radio that I actually felt like I was becoming a good disc jockey. Whereas I had worked with people throughout my career who were great DJs at twenty three, and then mm. and then and they got it. And me, I was still acting like a twelve year old trying to be something. And it wasn't until I, 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 I grew into it in my 40s mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. And that's when I quit. <laughs> that's when I quit and started over and became a photographer. When I hit that peak with weddings where uh, like I had world domination in San Diego and that's when I was like, yeah, I'm over this. <laughs> yeah. 
Are you a person? Are you a person who likes a new challenge? You know, you, you don't, you don't, you don't want to just hit a stride and just, I've got my assembly line going now and I can just do this and be fine. Always, always, yeah. always, always learning right now. I'm listening to the, was it the pod fest? Um, there's a, a three-day conference starting today. And whenever I take anything on, I dive in and I want to learn and I want to grow and so yeah, weddings were like burger flipping, not burger flipping. What is it? An assembly line. Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah, just same thing every, every over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw a lot of my best work ending up as a five by five in the album, if that. And babies were my other love, so I switched to photographing kids. And then a certain point, I got the big message from on high. It was time to coach. So then I got to do a whole new adventure into learning and growing. And then I don't know how you got into podcasting, but person that said, Lucy, I think you should do this. Then I had a whole new vast array of, of learning opportunities. So yeah, I think we share that for sure. I got into, I got into podcast because I was sitting at the bar at the Florida state convention about seven years ago. And I was talking to another photographer who I, I had met once before named Gary Hughes. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just riffing and having a good time and joking. And Gary goes, we should do a podcast. And I said, no, absolutely not. I'm not doing a podcast. And he was like, why not? And I was like, because it's a, a lot of work. You don't know any, you, you don't know. I've been an announcer. I've been a professional DJ. I know what it takes. To, and we're, you're talking about doing a one hour show every week. I go, it's a lot more work than you think it is. He's like, come on, come on, come on. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll do it. But only if you do all the work. I go, I'm just going to show up and do it. And that's it. You're going to do all the other work. And he was like, oh, okay, great. And boy, did he regret that decision because now it's seven years <laughs> old. And she saw this all the work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we've been doing it for about about seven years now. Wow. We've got 350, 400 episodes. And we only do one a week. And uh, it's called Photobomb, by the way, if right. you want to check it out. And um, so that's how I got into it. And I ended up liking it more than I thought I would because I didn't realize how much I missed doing morning radio mm. until I started doing my podcast. And it evolved over time. In the beginning, we had guests on every week and we wanted to be all about instruction. And then over time, we realized that everyone who came up to us at a convention and said they listened to the podcast, they never mentioned the guests. Mm. <laughs> they never, they always wanted to talk about something funny that Gary and I had said that usually didn't have anything to do with photography at all. It was just us talking about our lives. And I realized just like in radio that that that's that if you entertain people, that's more important than anything else. Hmm. So we um we got rid of the guests and now we do an hour show and the first 30 minutes is just us talking and the second 30 minutes is photography news. But that's what it is. And we, we like to say it's it's like going to lunch with two friends of yours who are photographers every yeah. week. And you know, and sitting around joking, and this happened to me and that happened to you, and blah, blah, blah. Right. And now I, I use it to fulfill that missing piece of me that misses doing morning radio where that's mm -hmm. what I had to do in morning radio every day. So, um, so I love it, you know, so I, I still do it, but it's not very educational. I'll tell you that right now. You're going to get so much <laughs> more education out of this podcast, if you, you know, right now than you will our podcast. Ours is just, you know, you need something to listen to while you're editing. You can put on photobomb and, and right. you know, get a chuckle or yeah. two. Or on a long drive or. Yeah. Yeah. So I started because I wanted to get on more podcasts and the person, Steve Ulsher, that put this big event together just kept saying to me, Lucy, I really think you should do a show. 
And I was like, yeah, you just want to sell me your production services. Right. And, but then coincidentally, I believe in coincidences, not always being such a coincidence on my way home from that event, WPPI was starting up. So I just got off the plane. I parachuted out (laughs) and landed in Vegas. (laughs) And I asked three friends, should I do a podcast? And every one of them was just like, absolutely, 100%. You have a voice with your experience and as a woman that other people don't have. And for me also, I'm just, I love a good conversation. That's what satisfies me here in my house in San Diego, living alone. I get to talk to so many fun, interesting, entertaining people. And um, yeah, so I like it too. Yeah. Um, so what I want to say, why I was wondering um, about what you were as a kid, what were you like, is I had imagined that you were great in school. I thought maybe you were more of the class clown, but I you, get it being the. No. I, well, by the time I was a senior, I was because mm-hmm. then we were doing more plays and things like that. And I was doing that kind of stuff. So everybody's better off when they're a senior, right? When you're like a freshman, yeah. a sophomore, you're still in the, mm-hmm. in the hurdles of middle school. And then right. by the time you're a senior, everybody's nicer to each other. Everybody's a little more mature. Yes. So by then, yeah. But up until then, I did not. I was bullied in middle school. You know, I, I yeah. So school was not a pleasant experience for me very much. Yeah. But, uh, but then, like I said, in my 20s, what most people have is their high school experience. I had that experience in my 20s. So mm-hmm. I get out, I go full time into radio and full time into nightclubs. And now I'm, I'm working in, in big nightclubs in, in Tampa in Tampa and in Dallas. And I'm on the radio and uh, I lose 85 pounds. And so my high school experience took place for me in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a little bit behind the curve. <laughs> I do everything. I do everything later than everyone else does. Yeah. I didn't become a full time photographer till I was in my 40s. Oh, late late 30s and 40s. Yeah. And how did that come about? In a, I moved here to Tampa in 2001. I quit my my career. My wife and I had a long distance relationship. She was here in Tampa, and I was in in Dallas. And my family lived here. I had lived here in the 80s with my family. My family had migrated over the years. My sister, my mom, and my dad, two uncles, and their family had all migrated here. And I loved it here for the brief time I was here in the 80s. So, well, we decided we were going to get married and somebody was going to have to move. And she was starting a company here doing title insurance. That's what she did. And I had pretty much done everything I wanted to do at ABC Radio in Dallas. I had a national show um, uh, via satellite in about 63 markets. Uh, everybody did who worked in the building. It was, uh, mm-hmm. ABC Radio Network uh, was to radio what the TV networks are to TV. They provided programming that around the clock to stations all over the country. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, you know, I was going to come back to Tampa, so I'll move. So I came here and I became a stay-at-home dad. And my uh, my wife uh, started her company and, and we had two daughters and I was changing diapers and, and doing the rest of it. And then in 2007, 2008, we were doing very well, about 1.5 million a year in sales. We had 12 employees. It was going great. And then the housing market collapsed and with mm-hmm. it, the title insurance market. And in one month, we were completely done, we completely shut down. We lost everything. Uh, wow. We lost our business. We lost it all. And so I had to go back to work. And I didn't want to go back to radio because it meant starting back at you know the bottom of some local station and it would take years to get up to a good position. And, and the only thing I'd ever loved besides that, that was a big hobby for me, was that I had been a yearbook photographer in high school. I had mm-hmm. my own darkroom, you know, and I had done all that. And I was like, 
okay, well, you know, photography. I've always loved photography. So I threw myself into it 60 hours a week, learning everything I could and launched Blu-ray period photography. And uh, yeah, I guess that would have been 2008 or so. Mm-hmm. And then was off to the races. And within about a year was self-sustaining and making a living at it. And and that's it. And from, the, from then it's been all, all fun and games, you know, having yeah. a good time. I have a, thank you for sharing that. I have a, um, an episode probably goes back to the beginning of, of the COVIDs about how things that look like disasters can actually be a turning point where everything kind of lines up in a better new way. And that sounds like your story. And mine was 82. There was a huge recession. I was running a business in the airport, which is so fun (laughs) because I got to just sit there and do travel insurance, exchange currency, and talk to all the cute boys. That was my 20s as well when I kind of blossomed. And uh, they canceled my contract. It was my own small business. And I love photography. I was ear, yearbook, yearbook editor also. And yeah, one thing led to the other. And that recession was the best thing that happened to me. So um, would I'm thinking you would agree that that was not what you would have chosen. I wouldn't say it was the best thing that happened to me. It was certainly an interesting thing that happened to me I mean, because, you know, my wife and I were on our way to being quite rich. When it oh, happened. well, there's that. <laughs> we, were, we, would have been, we would have been doing pretty well off if it hadn't happened. But, um, but it's certainly, you know, it was an extremely interesting thing that happened to me because getting into photography was interesting. And then my wife started a company. This is a great way, by the way, if you want to be a successful photographer, um, get your wife to start a company that needs photography. So that's, oh, the, perfect. <laughs> so that's yeah, what my I'll, wife did. I need to find a wife first. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of everything. And then my we had a, a young lady come to me because she wanted to uh, learn how to be a photographer. And I said, okay, sure, you can come shoot with me. And she had worked for a company that did beach weddings for destination brides here in Clearwater. And they fly in, you know, with their family, whatever. They have a little wedding on the beach. So my wife started asking her about it. And she said, uh, what do you do? She said, I do all the booking. And she said, and, and, and how much do people spend on these? And uh, she said, oh, I usually uh, average about $1,000, $1,200 maybe. And uh, she said, how many bookings are you doing? And she said, well, I did about 66 of them in the first six months for the company. And my wife goes, sit down right there in that chair and tell, everything, <laughs> tell me everything you know about this business. So she did. So my wife started looking into it and going online. And she came to me one day and she said, uh, so I'm looking at these beach wedding companies. I said, yeah. And she said, and I noticed that they don't seem to have really good photography. And I said, well, yeah, it's a beach wedding. It's a one hour wedding. And you're not going to get a really good photographer to go down to the beach for a one hour wedding. You know, they're not, it's not worth it to them mm-hmm. off camera lighting and so forth. And she said, well, it seems to me like there's a market for a beach wedding company that has good photography. I mean, people come down, they expect these beautiful sunset pictures. Right. And, and, and I said, yeah, there probably is. And she said, well, I was thinking I would start that company. And I said, okay, well, who's going to, who's going to shoot it? Because <laughs> I'm not going to shoot it. I'm not going to go down there and shoot it. And she goes, no, no. She goes, you can shoot the weddings during the week. And certainly you can train someone to shoot what, to do what you do. It's one hour. You can't train someone to do what you do for one hour. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, to shoot a whole wedding? No, I can't teach. I mean, that's a lot of work. But one hour on the beach? Okay, it's a set number of, okay, uh, we can do that. 
So she started a, a beach wedding company and I started shooting weddings for her. And over the course of five or six years, I shot 500 beach weddings, all of them an hour. Well, no, she started doing receptions too, but mm -hmm. most of them like an hour long, sometimes just a couple, sometimes 50 people. Uh, you know, I was at the beach four times a week, five times a week, sometimes two in a day, sometimes. And it was great. And, and not only was it decent money, we made a good living at it, but it was such a wonderful experience. And now being in a situation where my wife and I were working together. We were in an office back to back at our computers all day, unless I was at the beach shooting or she was loading up things and trips down to the beach to set up her, her setups and stuff. So I could take pictures of them for marketing. And, and, um, and it was a really unique and fun experience to start a company together with your spouse. Yeah. Uh, and so um, that was fun. And, and, and I tell people a lot of times when people have asked me, you know, would you come do a, a presentation on business? And I've, I'm always, I pull back from it a little bit because I'm like, my business was different than most people's business. Right. My wife started a company that needed photographers. <laughs> so it's not like you can tell, Hey, that's how you start your business. Yeah. Um, I do do, I do talk about business a lot now, but not in that vein. I talk about it more in the vein of, of how, how do you build a business? That's a business that you love mm. because that's a really hard thing for people to do. And I think a, a lot of people try very hard to be something different than who they are because they're told by everyone, that's what you have to do. Right. You know, there's a rule, you know, ABC always be closing, uh, you know, and, and here's what you need to do. And when they come to see you, here's the plan. You have to offer them the Goldilocks system, you know, you know, three, they have three choices and the good, better, best, right. Good. Yeah. Right. The Goldilocks, you know, usually the one in the middle is the one you want everybody to buy. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and all of those systems are great and they work unless you're someone like me who just is stubborn and doesn't want to do it that way. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And the business that I built, irrespective of my wife's business, because we don't have that business anymore. Um, I don't do, I do almost nothing the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> I don't. And, and yet I'm successful. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so a lot of times it's about figuring out who you are, what you mm -hmm. like, and then figure out how to sell it. Because it's the one thing I learned for sure is it's much easier to sell something if you like it. Right. Exactly. And, and I know a lot of people who try in photography to do something a certain way because they've been told this is what works and they don't actually like it. And it comes people can pick up on it. Right. You know, people can pick, people can pick up if you're not genuine. And so I'm like, no, no, figure out what you like and then figure out how to sell that. Right. And you'll be, you'll be much happier in, in the long run. And if what you like is money, then absolutely do it the way the people who have been very successful tell you to do it. That's, right. That should, you should absolutely follow their lead. They, they know what they're talking about. They've already run through the bumps in the road. They figured it all out. Absolutely follow their plan. But if you're more interested in something other than money, like peace of mind or how you feel about yourself or whatever, everybody's got their thing, then you've got to figure out how to sell that. Right. You've got to figure out how to make that work for you. And that's kind of what I did because I don't know many people who operate their business the way I do. Mm. Yeah. My first question, sometimes when I'm just sitting at the bar having dinner at WPPI and I'm talking to a photographer that sat next to me, or if someone's coming to me for coaching, my first question is, what would you do if either you didn't need any money at all? Or you knew that whichever one thing you pick, you'd be successful beyond your wildest dreams. What would that be? And usually I ask that if someone's like, well, I specialize in weddings, uh, passports, uh, 
food, you know, on and on and on to narrow that down to, but what do you love? So I appreciate what you're saying. I so agree with that. Yeah. If you can tell me, if you could tell me how to be a very successful wedding photographer that only shoots natural light, black and white, then I would love to hear that because that's, that's my go-to. If you said, what what would you like to do? If you can only do one thing in photography and really be successful at what would you like to do? I'm like, I'd like to shoot weddings, all natural light in black and white. I can teach you that. Natural light is my superpower. Yes. But black and white. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that would be really hard to pull off a full-time career with. What I often say is that when I'm ready to stop shooting weddings, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like, okay, I'm done shooting weddings. I'll shoot them, but only if I can shoot them in natural light, black and white. I won't get any yeah. clients, but if I ever get one, I'll be happy because that's what I really love doing is yeah. shooting in an older, you know, natural light uh, editorial style, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is completely opposite of the way I shoot. I shoot bright color and off-camera lighting. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that. So one of the things I am not surprised about from your childhood experience is that you were and are a great student. And yeah. while the the fun side of you comes out with with Gary on your photo bomb, I was watching your YouTube videos and looking at all of the technical information and and clearly you know, I don't need to, like I could say, where did you learn all that? But what I've learned from you so far is that you're a learner. So, oh yeah, absolutely. You learned it. Yeah. I want to know how things work. I am always, right. I want to know how things, how things work. Um, yeah. My YouTube, my YouTube channel is at Ray Perry, by the way. And um, so, yeah, what I really love to do is make a video. I go half and half, half my videos are like, oh, here's a video people might would enjoy or, or might get views. You know, you know, so you make those videos. Why the Fuji X100V is an awesome camera. And then you get 80,000 people who love that camera, who come to have their, to watch that video and be reaffirmed. Right. right. And that you make that for you. So you get the views. And then on the other side, there's the Bure Explains series that I'm doing that gets like 500 views every time I make a video, but it's things like, what is the exposure triangle? What, you know, what is the rule of thirds? You know, you know what is the inverse square law? Things that, I really believe that if you if you really understand the nuts and the bolts of photography, that you will be a better photographer. And I think a lot of people don't think that's true. They, they're like, it's just a tool. And if I can just figure out how to use it good enough to take the picture, then I'm I'm golden. And I'm like, no, you're, you're leaving a lot on the plate there. You really are, because there's so much more that, that, that it can do. Like I can drive a race car, but I don't understand a race car the way a race car driver does. And I'm never going to beat him. Right. You know, so, so understanding the nuts and the bolts, I'm fascinated by that. And, and as you know, you're always learning half the time. I'll make a video just because it's something I didn't really understand. So I'll go look it up and learn about it. And then I'll make a video, huh. <laughs> make a video about it. They say uh, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Absolutely. When I was editor of the yearbook, the teacher page, the entry to, you know, here's all our teachers. There was a poem that starts with each day. I learn more than I teach. So yeah. yeah, even when I was 17, I was I was thinking those thoughts. Uh, so you kind of answered my question, which was, why do you think it's important for people to to learn photography, to learn their equipment, to learn about lighting ratios? And no, I, I can tell you exactly why it's important. No, this is I've got two. I've got I've got so many programs. I've given it WPPI and PPA and BNH and New York and all that kind of stuff, but they almost all have this little bit in them. And it is that 
I can usually tell within five minutes of meeting you, if you're trying to be a photographer, whether or not you're going to make it. And the thing that keys me into whether or not you're going to make it is confidence. You have to have confidence. You can't be a photographer who doesn't have confidence because people are already nervous when they come to see you. They're nervous about having their picture taken and you need to be confident. You need to be a person. They need to feel they're in good hands. And a lot of times you have to fake that confidence, you know, fake it until you make it. But the thing I think that gives most people confidence is knowledge. You know, knowledge is confidence. So the more you understand what you're doing, the more at ease you are doing it. And the more that will then go to your clients and your clients will see that. So that's where I, that's where I get all of my, I'm not a great photographer, but where I get all of my confidence is in the knowledge that I know no matter what curveball you throw at me, I can figure it out because I'm a knowledgeable photographer. I have a head size session tomorrow and they were like, yeah, uh, it's 10 people. You're going to have 30 minutes and we don't have a room for you. And I'm like, okay, so I got to walk into this hotel and figure out some place to shoot 10 headshots and have them look good and professional. And I'm only going to have 30 minutes to do it. Let's go. I'm like, mm -hmm. this, I'm ready for this. I yeah. will be able to figure it out. I'll get it. I know I'll get it. That level of confidence will do more towards pushing your career forward than almost anything that you can do. Uh, and so to me, that's why I think it's important for people to learn all that stuff. Knowledge is power. And, and also you can't, you can't lose it. It can't be taken away from you. You know, once you learn all of this stuff about photography there it takes to be a photographer, then you're a photographer for life. It doesn't matter what happens. 20 years from now, you haven't shot in years. Someone hands you a camera. All you have to say is, does this have a manual mode? Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. I'm good to go. I'll put it in manual mode. I, I don't I mean, I understand how this particular camera works, but if I can control the aperture and the uh, shutter speed and the ISO, and there's a light meter in it, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I've got it. I understand bokeh. I understand, uh, you know, motion blur. I understand grain from ISO. I understand how they all work together. You're a photographer for life. And it's one of those great things. You know, once you're, once you're a photographer, you're a photographer for life. It never goes away. I, I love that. I'm a photographer for life. I mean, I know that, but um, that, yeah, quotable quote. <laughs> um, I was so intent on listening and I had this little follow-up thought and now it's followed its way it's out. hard to it's hard to have me on any podcast because you'll ask me a question and i'll spend 10 15 minutes answering it oh, i love that and <laughs> i'm surprised people, lazy podcasters would have me on all the time like oh thank god i'll just ask him one question i'll take a nap he'll, he'll be done in an hour and i'll yeah. be my whole podcast is done i know that's just not my style i love the conversation and um you know just that's sort of my my niche so what I was going to say is when people are debating, you know, what is a professional photographer, my answer is it kind of goes in line with what you just said, which is that you feel confident that when you take on an assignment, you can accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And um, so you give so much to this industry. Oh, I don't know about that. There's teaching, there's being on PPA council, you know, you show up and. Yeah. Well, not anymore. I'm not on the council. I retired from the council uh, two or three years ago because I wanted to give other people a chance. Uh, it used to be that it was hard to find. I think it was nine. We have nine counselors from mm -hmm. Florida. It used to be, it was hard to find nine counselors. Um, I got nominated for the council. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be on in the first place. And then I got <laughs> someone put my name in without telling me, um, but I did six years on and then. When it was time for me to re-up, there were like 13 or 14 people 
who were trying to get on. And I looked at the list and there were like five or six people on that list who I had met who were newer photographers into the organizations here in Florida. And I was like, well, someone's got to get out of the way if you want to, if these people are going to have a chance to have the experience that I had, you mm-hmm. know, you know, so if you get in these positions that are limited and you just sit there forever, then, and then you, and, and you go, how come there's no new people who are joining? <laughs> well, because you won't get out of the way. You know, you got to get out of the way and make right. room for them so they can have the experience. The reason you love everything about this experience is because you've got to have the experience. You got to get out of the way and let them have the experience too. So, uh, so I actually got off the council about three years ago. Um, I've been on, and I've been on a lot of committees and this year will be the first year that I haven't been on a committee at PPA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was offered a committee and I said, no, let's mm-hmm. let somebody else, you know, give it a shot yeah. and, uh, and get involved. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's selfish reasons. A lot of it is selfish. I love to perform. There's nothing I love more. David Letterman famously said that the only time he's happy is the one hour a day that he was on doing his show. And there's a little bit of that in me. I mean, I'm happy most of the time, but what I really enjoy is walking on stage in front of 500 people and talking for an hour. Because during that time, and this is a deep dive, during that time, your brain has to turn off to all the other stuff that you normally have bouncing around in your brain about, about, you know, I don't know, relationships with people and, and problems here and problems there and insecurity and depression and all the things that everybody deals with every day. When you're on stage, this is true of all stand-up comics too. When you're on stage, all that stuff is, has to be pushed out and you have to focus on what you're doing in the moment. And so you get to just be, you know, people say, oh, so stressful being on stage. I'm like, not for me. It's not Ooh. stressful. It's non-stressful for me being on stage. We're doing this is not stressful for me at all because when right. I'm doing this, I have to be so focused on what I'm doing that I can't think about anything else. It's the same mm-hmm. thing with photography. When I'm doing a wedding, you have to be so focused on everything that you're doing so you don't miss the moments and so you're in the right place at the right time. You know how to light the room that you get to turn your brain off while you're you know deep into this thing, like being a test pilot. And that's why I do it. you know. And then there's the rewards of afterwards. There's nothing more satisfying than going and giving a presentation somewhere. I'm speaking tonight via Zoom to a couple of camera clubs in New Jersey. And there's nothing more satisfying than doing a presentation on something. And then afterwards, someone comes up and says, I never really understood that until you mm-hmm. explained it. Oh, that's the best. That is the best thing in the world. I agree. There, you know, I don't, I just, I just love it. I, you know, I, I've never really thought of myself as a teacher, but I get, I get it now. I get why people are teachers for their whole life. It's just for that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that moment when a student comes back to you years later and says, you know, you know, you changed my life. Oh my yes. gosh. I'm not changing anybody's life, but, uh, but, sure. um, but I understand now how teachers must feel. They, they, you get that drug all the time. Right. You know, I right. get it every once in a while, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's why I do it. You know, I, I like being involved, you know, and I love performing and I love it when I can teach somebody something they didn't understand. The first time I ever did anything speaking, I was at um, Imaging USA. This would have been about a decade ago. And it was my first Imaging USA. And I went and saw some speakers. And I was like, well, I can do this. <laughs> you know, I, I had never been to anything like that before. I'd never been to any sort of an industry conference. I didn't know what they were. And everybody's got one. You're a plumber. There's a conference for you. And I was like, oh, this, I can do this. So I started making notes. I just started making notes after notes after notes of what can I talk about? And what can I do? And, and so forth. You know, it was like writing a comedy routine. And I'm trying to figure it all out. And then I was talking to a friend of mine uh, and her boyfriend, and I don't know how it came up, but something came up about the inverse square law. And I explained it to him. And when I was done, he goes, that's what you should do. And I said, Mm -hmm. what? He goes, that right there, what you just did. I've never understood the inverse square law. And now I do. He goes, that's, that's what you should be doing. And I was like, oh, okay. 
there's something. So mm -hmm. now usually almost anything that I do, almost any presentation that I do somewhere in there, I try to put a couple of concepts in that I know people um, struggle with, or like, I know I did. I mean, there's plenty of things that I was a professional photographer and there were things I didn't quite understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just pretended that I did. Yep. And, and it was very comforting to me when someone finally explained it to me in a way that I could understand. And I, because again, now I'm like, okay, that's knowledge that I have now. Now I feel less of a fraud. Right. So right. Um, my program, the thing I'm doing tonight for New Jersey, uh, the program is called uh, Flashes, Files, and Fast Glass. And it's just all about explaining thing concepts that photographers tend to not really understand. Like, you know, like whenever you talk to a photographer who doesn't really understand um, DPI and PPI, Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, you need to understand the difference between pixels per inch and, and dots per inch. And you need to understand that DPI doesn't mean nearly what you think it means. Yeah. Have you ever had someone, Lucy, who like you're doing headshots or something? I don't know if you do that. And they'll come to you and they're like, okay, we need this headshot at, um, we need this shot, headshot to be, uh, you know, full size, blah, 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 at 300 DPI. And you're like, yeah, 300 DPI doesn't mean anything. Right. And, right. Like, and this is a person who's, who's in the business of doing graphic design and they don't understand that 300 DPI is not a way of delivering something that, that if you want to tell me you need to be 6,000 by 4,000, that's fine. But telling me you want to be 300 DPI, that could be anything from 6,000 by 4,000 to 3,000 by 100, 300 by 100. You know, that's a one inch, a one inch photo is 300 DPI. If it's 300, 300 dots wide. So that sort of stuff, that's kind of deep dive, but once you really understand it, it changes your understanding of digital photography. Mm -hmm. I just love that stuff. I really do. I didn't think I would, but the more I got into it, the more I liked it. And that exact thing baffled me for so long. Yeah, just one of those I kept things. Asking people, explain it. And they're like, oh, 300. And I'm like, but what's the size? What's the. And sadly, your podcast didn't exist where you explained it. Exactly. <laughs> I've got a video on my YouTube channel all that. about that. But once it clicked and I was like, no, it's about. Yeah. DP, DPI is saying that you want something at 300 DPI is like saying, I want a table that is 12 inches to the foot. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 12. That's fine. 12 inches to the foot's fine. But how many feet do you want it to be? I want it to be 12 inches to the foot. Right. Yes. But I need to know how many feet the table needs to be. <laughs> and that's what people don't understand about DPI. DPI is just really, it's just about printing. People don't understand it. DPI is a throwback from printing. Printers tended to be 300 DPI. So oh. if you were going to print something and it was going to be 10 inches wide and the printer was going to put 300 dots per inch, then if it was going to be 10 inches, that file needed to be 3,000 uh, uh, pixels per inch, 3,000 pixels total. If it was 3,000 pixels total, then that would print at 300 DPI as a 10 inch image. That's when DPI comes into play. But for everything else, no, DPI doesn't mean anything. It's it's how many inches are in a foot uh, type measurement. All that matters is pixels. A pixel is a pixel is a pixel. All that matters is pixels. And so what they should say is, yeah, I need these files at least uh, six thousand on the longest side. Gotcha. Right. I can I can give you something that's six hundred on the longest side or six thousand on the longest side. Tell me that, and I can give you exactly what you need. But you start throwing around DPI, <laughs> and that's when I start going, oh, you don't understand how yeah. this works, do you? Yeah. <laughs> so then how does the um, put it in a five by seven or eight by 10 or? Well, what, what do you want to print a five by seven? And if the printer is 300 DPI, then it needs to be 2,100 pixels on the long side. Seven times 300 is 2,100 pixels. 
So that's how it needs to be on the wrong side. You only need one side. At least. If, you put it in, if you put it in the Photoshop and you do one side, it'll do the other side for you. Mm-hmm. So you just do the longest side and that's it. And now you now you've got a five by seven at 300 dots per inch, meaning you can print it at 300 dots per inch. But if you're not going to print it, that's just a waste because computer monitors aren't 300 dots per inch. Computer mm-hmm. monitors are typically around 100, 110, depending on what you're running. So now you've got a file that's much bigger than you need it to be, which means it's not going to load as fast in your web browser. So now you're, t- so that, that's, you know, that's where digital has really made it harder for us is in the old days, all you had to do was worry about something being printed. Now, uh, where's it going to be displayed and how's it going to be displayed? Right. You know, because is it going to be on a 4k monitor? Because now you're really upsizing because that's 4,000 dots corner to corner. And if it's going to be full size and you've got to have a, a picture that is 4,000 pixels in order to print full size on that monitor without it being stretched and you start to lose resolution. So it's not that hard, but it just seems hard. But once you understand it, the, the problem is that so many people don't really understand it that they they let the DPI get in there and, and, and screw them up. Right. So yeah. I love how I ask you a little simple question. <laughs> and there I am. The teacher in you, the, yeah. the person that loves to not only understand, but share. Yeah, I hate that about myself. Though. It just starts going. Yeah. See, I hate that about myself because <laughs> there's nothing more annoying than when, when you ask somebody what time it is and they tell you how to build a watch. That's that's just horrible. And and so every time I do that, I'm like, oh, they didn't ask you. They didn't ask you how to build a watch for ray They just asked you what time it was. Just answer the question. Right. Uh, but it comes from there's two there's two ways of doing it, though. There's some people who do it, do it. And they it's a little bit, you know, I'm smarter than you. I know this stuff. And then yeah. there's and then there's me. And it's not I'm smarter than you. It's, it's I'm fascinated by this. This mm-hmm. is interesting to me. You know, right. so, oh, I want to share with you. Oh, yeah, how cool this is. Uh, you know, so I hope that that's what comes across when I absolutely, when I yeah. yeah, is that it's it's I'm not I'm not trying to show you that I'm smarter than you are. I'm just like, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Check this out. Check this out. Yeah. This is how this works. Yeah. <laughs> no. So where my mind goes is when I'm sitting next to somebody uh, new and I say, oh, tell me about your business. And then what clicks in for me is trying to help them be more successful. Did you do this? What's your specialty? And pretty soon I'm in coaching mode. And right. and people are like, oh, you just gave me a whole one hour what, private coaching because I love it because I I just get lit on fire helping people succeed even if I never know if any of it made any difference in their lives. You know, it it's like a play button, and I think I saw your you know I tap, tapped your play button, and that's that's my play button. Well, I'm, I'm definitely the worst about it. I mean, you ask anybody who knows me, I never shut up. I yeah. wake up. I've been a lifetime in radio dead air. I, I'm afraid to death of dead air, you know? So I, 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 the older I get, the more I try to slow down. And I, I this is actually slow for me compared to, <laughs> compared to how I used to be. I know. <laughs> so I'm trying to slow down more and more and more and just just breathe and let there, there can be a pause. There can be some quiet time, you know, that can happen, you know? And, um, uh, but when I get once I get going full guns, oh, I watched the thing yesterday. I was up in New York speaking. Uh, BH Electronics has a um, has a conference up there every year, and I went up there and spoke. Uh, I guess it was January, February, and they put it online, and I watched it, and I'm just like, oh, the machine gun speed, at which I am, <laughs> at which I am talking because I am desperately trying to get in three thousand things in the one hour that I have, the fifty minutes that I have to talk. It's it's horrible, you know, but uh, I can't help it. We got to be who we are. Yeah. I, I am, like Pop, I said, I am what I, I am. I am what I am. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, I thought I was going to ask you about bar mitzvahs because it's an area. Oh, that, I love them. Okay. But it's an area I haven't really had um, in my almost 200th show. I think you're going to be 201. Um, oh, all right. I like that. Yeah. 201. Um, we haven't talked much about bar mitzvahs. And since you just said, I love them, then while I have you here, I'd love to know why it's just some of the nuts and bolts or what you think people need bar to mitzvahs are the Bar mitzvahs are the best kept secret in photography. Um, I will go and speak and mention them. And then after I speak, someone will come up to me and they'll be like, I do bar mitzvahs too. And it's like a secret club. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're like, yeah, right, right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, right. Bar mitzvahs are awesome. It's so many things to love about a bar mitzvah. First of all, it's the same job that you do if you're shooting a wedding. You're shooting, um, you're not, you except you're not shooting the ceremony because you're not allowed to photograph a bar mitzvah ceremony. So you're doing uh, formals and family pictures and stuff at the temple, you know, and and some poet, you know. So you're gonna go in on like a, a Thursday and do that kind of stuff, depending on the temple. Uh, on a Thursday and you're going to, and you're going to, so that's, you've got plenty of time to go in and take all the pictures, nice little portrait session with the family and with the child, you get that done. And then on Saturday, there's going to be a party and it's going to be four hours long. And there's going to be events during the party. There's going to be like a candle lighting ceremony, uh, that you're going to photograph that. And there's going to be the horror where they put the kid and this family up on the chair, you know, you're going to photograph that. And the entrances, just like a wedding where they all come in, they get introduced by the DJ and you're going to photograph that. And then you're going to take Go around and do table shots and you're going to focus and you're going to, you know, shoot the people dancing and the kids will be playing games during dinner. A lot of times the DJ is doing special games. The kids are playing that. So you're photo- photographing Coke, Pepsi and Coke, Pepsi is a big game that they play all the time. It's called Coke, Pepsi, uh, Coke, Pepsi and, and so forth. And so it's just like photographing a wedding, really, except you don't have to pose people and make them all romantic and, and stuff like that. You just have to make them look fun and have a good time. And there's not a whole lot of posing, really. So. In addition to it being like a wedding, so it's got the same skill set. If you can shoot a wedding, you can shoot a bar mitzvah. Okay. So then there's the money side. You're going to make as much money as you do in a wedding, and you might make more. Because unlike a wedding, um, in this case, the people who hire you are professionals uh, in their 30s or 40s or or later who have known that this party was coming for 13 years. Ah. They know it's coming. Every kid gets one. They're prepared. Uh, all of their relatives, all of their work associates, their friends from college are going to be there, plus a bunch of kids, and they want this party to be good, and they've got the money, they're ready to spend it, and what they're most interested in is professionalism. So unlike weddings where a lot of times it can be, can you connect with the client, right? Can you, you know, you know... (laughs) You know, the client's got to like you. They've got to be like, oh, you're cool. And I like having you mm-hmm. at my wedding and blah, blah, blah. With a bar mitzvah, they're like, no, no, no. I want a professional. I want to pay you. And I want to know that you've got it all taken care of. And I don't have to worry about the photography anymore. They like that. They That's what they're looking for. They, they don't have time to deal with this. You know, it's, it's, it's no, give me the professional. And that's really a great benefit to someone like me who's older, you know, because 22-year-olds, 24-year-olds looking for a wedding photographer, nah, I'm an older guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I'm like, yeah, do I want the old guy? You know, but bar mitzvah parents, yes, they want the old guy. They want the guy that's shot more bar mitzvahs than anybody else in town. They want the guy that all their friends recommended. And that's another thing is that community, mm-hmm. everybody who's got a bar mitzvah that year, all their kids are in the same class learning all the stuff they have to learn. So they pass around the names. The moms pass around the names. Who, who's a good bar mitzvah photographer? So you get passed around um, the community. Uh, it's all word of mouth. If you're doing a great job, you never have to advertise. Everyone gets sent to you. 
by I go to every bar mitzvah I go to, there's two, three kids there whose bar mitzvahs I shot. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to order an album, a bar mitzvah album. They may do a session for a photo guest book beforehand. Um, they may get, if you have a photo booth, and I do get a photo booth, it's a great way to add money. You have a photo booth, they're going to book your photo booth. And then after they do all that, they come in to pick up their album. And when they pick it up, they go, okay, uh, my second child is having her bar mitzvah next year. So (laughs) put me on the calendar for October 8th. Send me a contract. And you go, okay, that's another wedding. And you you put them in and you just send them the contract and stuff. And they send it back and pay the deposit. And now you've got another Saturday book. You know, that doesn't come with weddings. No one ever comes in after a wedding and says, I'm getting married again next year. (laughs) But with a bar mitzvah, when someone calls you up and they're like, oh, I need somebody to do my oldest child's bar mitzvah and I have four kids. <laughs> You're like, that's four, that's four weddings right there. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot every one of those kids. You do mm-hmm. a good job and they're just going to have you, it'll be the same DJ, the same photographer. They'll just bring everybody back time and time again. And just like any other business there get you get people who are good at it and they get called a lot. So like in my case, there's a disc jockey locally who does more bar mitzvahs than any other DJ. And I recommend him and him alone. And he recommends me and me, mm-hmm. him, me alone. So every other Saturday when I'm working a bar mitzvah, I walk in and there's John. Hey, John, how you doing? John and I know each other, you know, and John knows that during the horror that when he puts the kid up in the chair, he doesn't let him bring the kid down till I give him a thumbs up to let him mm-hmm. know I got the shot. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we work together. Um, he'll have them all come in for a big hug at the end of the night. Come everybody, big hug on, on the bar mitzvah. And they all come in for a big hug and they'll go look up at the, they'll go look up at the camera. Cause he'll know I'm hovering above with the camera shooting down on all these kids. And they're all looking up at the camera with the faces. It's a beautiful shot, you know, and that's because he's helping me out because I'm sending him business and he's sending me business. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I love it. I would absolutely drop everything. I would drop everything if I could just do a bar mitzvah every Saturday. And that, that would be my, that would be my sole business. Yeah. It's a great business. And, yes. and I know so many people who don't even, don't even know they exist. Think about it. I mean, you have to have a, you have to have a, a good enough size Jewish community in your town. Right. Uh, you know, in order to make a, make a business out of it. But if you do look into bar mitzvahs. So what do you think? Are there some Jewish people in Florida? Oh yeah. There's a few. <laughs> One or two. One, two. I, just here, just in Tampa, I work at about four or five temples on a regular basis. Yeah. That's just in Tampa. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just great. The community is great. The people are great. And then a few years later, the kids need senior photos. Well, they know mm-hmm. you, they call you, you know, and the weddings and, and weddings. I, and what I like about bar mitzvahs versus weddings is you're only dealing with one family. Yes. So yeah. the dynamics are easier. And one of the things I found difficult about my 12 years in weddings is Every Saturday was a different cast. So unless they booked my DJ, my florist, my cake baker, my videographer, all those personalities coming together. And I think weddings attract strong personalities in general. So you got a bunch of alphas and then you, the church may or may not have people that think we're the bad guy or we're the hero. Yeah, we got I we we got a giant beautiful uh, Catholic cathedral here that has a church lady that is just I mean, she just hates everybody who's in the room. Yeah. We the <laughs> yeah. most beautiful one in La Jolla used to have both the monsignor yeah. and uh the organist was also the church lady who's a a man but I actually learned a four four point um strategy for the the people that are 
wake up in the morning trying to figure out how to make things harder for the photographer. Do you want to hear my strategy? I do. Absolutely. All right. And and this came from, I was sitting with a psychologist after the wedding that I hit it off with and she'd noticed how difficult he was. And I was like, help me. I need tools. Uh, so number one, stay out of his way as much as possible. If he's coming up the aisle beforehand, duck behind a post. Uh, especially if he looks like he's looking for somebody to drop some of his, you know, inner angst on. Number two, just agree. I hear you. Uh-huh. Got it. Yep. Got it. Number three, look for the humor because actually they're they can be amusing if you watch them without being connected to like this is making my life hard. And then number four is actually have compassion because someone that needs to be this way in the world, there's something like being them is hard, in my opinion. And that has worked like a charm for for decades now is feel the kindness, see the humor, pretend to agree and and not and be away from them as much as you can. When it comes to dealing with clergy, my rule has always been, I'm in your house and you're in charge. So right. whatever you want, I do whatever you want. I tell my my clients with bar mitzvahs, I'm like, when we get here, we get here early and we do all the stuff we need. Once the rabbi shows up, the rabbi's in charge. Right. I stop and the rabbi does whatever the rabbi needs to do and wants to do. And we do whatever the rabbi wants us to do. And then after the rabbi's done, if there's anything left to do, we'll do it then. But when the rabbi's in the room, I don't take charge of anything. It's mm. the rabbi's room. You want to be, you want to be the one, like you said, you want to be the person that is never a problem for him. Right. Uh, and um, I've got one temple here in, in particular that uh, I've known that rabbi since he was the associate rabbi. And it's great because now, and as a photographer, this got to make you feel so good. Now, when they're doing the walkthrough and the whole family's there and he's doing the walkthrough, he says to them, the reason we're doing this is not really for the young lady who's doing the bat mitzvah. She knows her part. We're doing this for you people so you can learn what you have to do during the ceremony. And we're also doing it so that Bure can get great pictures. Mm. I mean, you, you, he actually says my name. He knows me. He's like, and so when he said, everybody here, you're going to walk here. And you're going to do this. And I'm going to do a blessing. Did you get that? Bure? Yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> Rabbi Bernholz. Uh, or, you know, and it's like Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Bernholz was the old one. And you're like, that's just a dream come true. I, 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 I could work every Saturday in that temple. I would. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. So yeah, the, the, the big secret in photography is, is how wonderful bar mitzvahs are. Right. Right. Well, thank you for that. So how do people get in touch if they have questions or they want to learn more or book you or teaching? If you want to find me, all you have to do is Google me because I'm the only one in the world. Bure Perry, B-O-O-R-A-Y. You just put Bure Perry into Google and you'll find everything. But uh, my email is Bure at BurePerry.com. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is not a bunch of photographs. It is some photographs, but it's also just, I put a lot of funny stuff up there, memes and, and stuff like that. So it's at Bure Perry on Instagram. My YouTube channel is at Bure Perry. Um, so that, yeah, I'm, it's not hard to find me at all. All you have to do is punch Boo Ray Perry into any a search engine. I'll come up. I'll be the whole page. Is Boo Ray on your birth certificate? Is it? It is not. 
Beauregard? Uh, no, no, <laughs> it's nowhere near it. My actual name is Thomas Dwayne Perry. Uh, <laughs> and everyone in my family goes by their middle name. And my sister's name is Dwana. And so when I was in high school, I was Dwayne, Dwayne Perry. And my sister's name was Dwana. Okay. And my father's name is Elvis. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so I was Dwayne. And then when I got into radio, I had to have a radio name and somebody, because I, I lived in Louisiana and had lived in Louisiana, somebody gave me the nickname Bure, uh, and maybe as a joke and it stuck. And I've been Bure for 30 years now. So everyone, my mom is the only person who doesn't call me Bure. Even my sister called Dwayne, me Dwayne, Dwayne, yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne, the bathtub, bathtub I'm drowning. I'm drowning. <laughs> yeah. Dwayne, the bathtub I'm drowning. So yeah, Dwayne is the name that I grew up with. Everybody calls me Dwayne, but uh, I've been Bure for gosh, 30 years now. And it, my, my wife always says is the best thing I ever did was do that because it's the best marketing tool I have. Because like I said, if you just go, if you go looking for Bure, you're going to find him. Right. Absolutely. You know, but if you went looking for, if you went looking for Thomas Perry, my first name, there's like a famous author named Thomas Perry. Yeah. You know, so um, it really turned out, it really turned out great for me. So last question, either, is there something that you would, when we disconnect, think, oh, I wish I had shared that, or is a parting thought you want to leave us with? What's your last word, bure? I got nothing. I got, here's what's going to happen when we stop. We're going to stop and I'm not going to say, oh, I should have said that. We're going to stop and I'm going to go, oh my God, why did you talk so much? Why, every, everything you said, you could have said it in half the time and then, and then let Lucy talk more and, let, and, and ask Lucy questions instead of just talking about yourself all the time. That's what will happen when we get off. That's what happens every time I do anything. The minute I'm done with it, it's like, oh my gosh, that was horrible. I cannot believe she let you come on her show. I cannot believe you tanked the whole thing. I will absolutely hate myself for about five minutes and I'll just go, oh, well, you know, Whatever. oh, well, let it go. Yeah. Well, I think you, I think you let me interject more than, than some people who just want to sit back and let you. I think, I think everybody does. It's just that some people don't admit it. Some people, you know, I, there are some people who just seem to have that self-confidence all the time, but I think we all do it. We all do what? We all second guess ourselves. We all, oh. we all have imposter syndrome. We all think that that was horrible. And, and, you know, what was I read to me? They are so great. I try and keep in my mind, which is um, whenever you sit around and you're thinking about all these people that you interacted with and you're like, oh my God, what do they think of me? What do they think of me? What do they think of me? remember that they're sitting around doing the same thing about you. You know, I, we we're all so self-centered that we're sitting around thinking that, you know, that everyone's everyone, you know, like that we're gonna, I'm going to go off this and I'm like, Oh, what's Lucy going to think about me? When in fact, there's a good chance Lucy's going to be going, what did Bure think about me? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so don't stress over it. And, right. and, and I've, I've tried to, to be more that way uh, year after year, but no, I have no parting thoughts. Okay. Uh, I, I wish I had some profound wisdom to share, but I don't. So in case this is a little bit of an antidote to that five minutes you're going to spend, for me, I've just really enjoyed getting to spend an hour and 16 minutes just having a great conversation with you. I've enjoyed uh, when we've encountered each other just here and there at conventions I'm in your your group, so I love the things you post. And oh, I have a by the way, I have she talking about my group on Facebook, Pro Photo Talk with Boo Ray Perry. Yes. Continue. And so so <laughs> my feeling at the end of this, first of all, I don't know why I was nervous. <laughs> and 
but it's that same, that self-criticism. And just it's just been a pleasure I to have one-on-one time with you. Well, it's very nice of you. I, I'm you. happy to do it. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't? That's one of the great things about having a podcast is anyone can have a podcast now. And it's such a great door opener. You can call anybody and say, would you like to be on my podcast? And nine times out of 10, they'll, they'll say, okay, sure, I'll do it. It's, it's an hour. What the, and you can meet people you never would have met otherwise and get information you never would have gotten otherwise. You know, I remember when we first started the podcast, um, we had Jerry Jonas on. Mm-hmm. And we had Jerry and Melissa on because they had taken over WPPI's uh, print competition. And we had them on, uh, might have been from Australia, might have been from Las Vegas, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, Jerry Jonas. You know, I got to meet Jerry Jonas. And of course, now Jerry knows me, you know, and, and Melissa knows me. And, and, you know, Melissa. Yeah. Jerry was on my show. So there you go. And so you, and I ran, and then I was introduced to Melissa like four years later. And she remembered me. She was like, oh, I've always wanted to meet you in person. It's so nice to meet you. And I was just like, oh, you're such a better person than I am. So much better person than I yeah. am. Yeah. Uh, one of the great things about about doing stuff like this is, you know, that's that's what I would encourage anyone. That that's my final thoughts. If it, you know, is that anything you want to do in photography, not just as a photographer, but as a speaker or presenter, or getting involved in the community, or getting involved at the national level, it is all wide open to you. They want you to get involved. Right. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've I've run into is that so many people, you know. My, I've got friends of mine who spoke this year at WPPI for the first time, and they were just over the moon that they they finally reached this goal of speaking at WPPI. And I'm like, it's not that big a deal. All you have to do is want to do it. If you want to do it, anyone can do it. Just just put together a program, practice it, go speak at some locals, and you'll get to speak at WPPI. You'll get to speak at PPA. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that so many people think there's a big barrier to entry to getting involved in that sort of stuff in photography, and there really isn't. Uh, you know, you can be any kind of photographer you want to be. You can shoot whatever you want to shoot and make a living at it if you want to figure it out. And you can you can really go anywhere that you want to go with photography. You wouldn't think it it's photography, but it's true. Uh, yeah. You really can go just about anywhere you want to go if you're a photographer. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So audience, stay tuned for my little quick wrap up. And Blu-ray, it's just been so much fun and a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for in on the show. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Well, I am so happy that I asked Buri to be on the show, and I know you all are as well. Just a reminder that you can find my episodes on YouTube as well as wherever you might be listening now if you're not listening, watching on YouTube. And please go to my website, lucydumascoaching.com. And grab one of my gifts. There's one that's 10 big ideas for marketing in the real world that is super popular. So I don't know how to wrap up Boo Ray, but um, I asked him what he was like as a kid. And he uh, helped me understand why he is so good at all the technology and all the details in photography because he's a He's a strong learner and he loves to teach that. And when I ask him about why you want to know the technology, you want to know photography, you want to know the rule of thirds and just all of those things is for your confidence. 
So you know when you show up, you can do the job. Um, knowledge is power. And then we talked about bar mitzvahs and how um, they're such a great gig because, first of all, income-wise, the people who are hiring us are at a bit of a different place in their lives, and they've been saving up for their child's bar mitzvah. So they're in their 30s or so or or early 40s. And also you get lots of repeat business, lots of referrals, and it's much simpler than doing a whole wedding. So that was that. Stay tuned. Uh, If you haven't listened to my 200th episode, please go back and do that as well, because uh, it was pretty fun. And until next time, au revoir. You have been listening to The Highly Profitable Photographer with Lucy Dumas. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share. To connect one-on-one and learn more about our coaching programs, just go to lucydumascoaching.com. Until next time, go have fun photographing and selling your work.